Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas, one of the biggest churches in the United States, gives 1% of its total budget to Jewish evangelism. They have Erev Shabbat services, Havdalah services, and multiple outreach ministries through which they seek to reveal the Jewish Messiah to his people, Israel. We are blessed today on Messiah Podcast to welcome Dr. Greg Stone. He is the pastor of local Jewish ministries for Gateway Church. He's here to share with us why Gateway has become one of the fastest growing churches in the country and what their focus on Judaism has to do with it. Messiah Podcast is brought to you by First Fruits of Zion, providing Messianic Jewish teaching to Christians and Jews. Put your hand in mine together. We will walk in harmony. Let me introduce you to my teacher. Rabbi from the Galilee. Welcome back to Messiah Podcast, where Jesus is Jewish, and that changes everything. I'm here with my co-host, Jacob Franzak. How are things up in your neck of the woods, Jacob? You getting ready for some turkey time? We've got the fall. The fall festivals and Judaism are behind us, but now we move into the American fall festival. Over Overeating on a Thursday. And being grateful while we do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, more more holidays equals more better because um, you get special food in, in large amounts. Yeah, what are we going to do? I'm not sure if we've even like uh, planned much. But, you know, my wife always makes this, um, this chutney, this cranberry chutney, which is just incredibly, incredibly powerful cranberry flavor. Um, that we like to just slather on stuff. So, you know, Chutney. always always look forward to that. Yeah. Chutney. It's not a real appetizing sounding word, but you know, I'm no, sure most, it's good. Most British food is not doesn't <laughs> sound appetizing. Uh, you know what we do in the South for Thanksgiving though? We fry turkeys. I don't know if they do that in Michigan, but I'll be frying yeah. frying turkey to make certain that it is absolutely as unhealthy as possible. What do you do? You use like a peanut oil or something there? You got it, man. Big nice. old vat of hot oil. We are we are welcoming today um, Dr. Pastor Greg Stone. I'm excited because you know I've heard a lot about gateway church i've never been there but i know that there's a lot going on in in jewish atmospheres yeah yeah there's something happening there that's quite a bit different from um any of the uh, mega churches i've ever been to or heard of and uh i would really love to just learn more about it jewish evangelism that's going to come up in our conversation today what you know it's yeah, always prob- up, so. it probably will because that tends to be like the reason that churches give for starting to do to do Jewish things or to talk about Judaism or to talk about the Jewish people. Not always, but there's always that element of it, and um, you know, it's it's one of those things that's hard to do well, right? Well, yeah. I mean, from from experience, we've I think we've had this conversation probably more than enough times on here. But growing up Jewish. I was on the I was on the receiving end of the like threatening gun of of Jewish evangelism like you're going to you're going to die and burn in hell and that's not that's not what they do and but I want to find out what they do because Jewish yeah. evangelism is a big part of it and when you've got I can't remember how many 
campuses and the number of people that are are tuning into Gateway, they are they are influential. That's for certain. Yeah, a lot of people are paying attention. Pastor Greg Stone is the pastor of local Jewish ministries for Gateway Church. He's responsible for developing their Jewish ministries across what I think is 10 or more campuses. He's also a teacher in the Messianic department at the King's University. He grew up in a Jewish home, became a believer somewhat later in life, has a doctorate in Messianic leadership, MDiv. I mean, he's a on, on the academic side and the leadership side, he, he's got a lot going on, and he's with us today on Messiah Podcast right after the break. want to know the Jewish Jesus, don't miss out on a free subscription to Messiah Magazine, where you'll discover his life and teaching, learn about the biblical festivals, and get connected with Israel. Subscribe for free at messiahmagazine.org. Messiah Magazine is a free, donation-supported quarterly publication of First Fruits of Zion. Welcome, Messiah listeners. We are excited to welcome Dr. Pastor Greg Stone from Gateway Church. How are you, Pastor Greg? I'm blessed. Having a good. great day. Good, 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 good. Well, we, we have a lot to talk about because Gateway Church is doing, I, I would certainly say something unique and, and under your uh, under your leadership, really, as the pastor of, of Jewish ministries at Gateway. But it for, for those of us, I think most people know Gateway, but about how many people attend Gateway these days and in 12 campuses, right? Um, I, I, you know, I've lost count of the number of campuses. <laughs> That's I, how I, you define a mega church right there. You don't know how many. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's one I, here I, behind I, my couch. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I, think it's, um, I think it's 10 campuses, but okay. then there's, in addition to that, uh, Pastor Robert, has a vision for uh, prison ministry. So we actually have four or maybe it's five now campuses, not, not ministries, campuses, full church campuses in prisons and state prisons. Oh, wow. And so, uh, we're 15 churches, campuses within one church. Yeah. How many attend? Um, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think anybody really knows because of what COVID did. Exactly. Um, So the week before COVID, if it were the month before COVID, and answer your, to your question, the church was averaging 32,000 people per per weekend wow. uh, in attendance. Uh, Easter was 55,000. And then okay. um, and then COVID hit and the number of people who watch who watch it online exploded. But yeah. the number of people who obviously came went down. Mm-hmm. And I think we're probably 50 to 60% of that on campus now, but the number of people who actually attend online is still really high. Yeah. Uh, and there's 26 million people who watch Pastor Robert on a weekly basis. Oh my wow. goodness. Wow. He is remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. He is, he is just, um, you know, I'm, anybody could do what I'm doing when you're serving him. It's a nice position to be in. 
yeah. to have a to have a leader you respect and admire and and makes makes that happen. So I, but before, so I was going to ask a question about Gateway, but really let me let me just ask what tell our listeners what you do, and that's kind of a big part of what the podcast is about. But what what does it mean for Pastor Greg Stone to be the local Jewish ministries, uh, the pastor of local Jewish ministries? Well. Um, maybe I should start with a bigger picture than, than who I am and what I do and say that uh, Gateway Church actually has um, two, I really should say three Jewish departments. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have, to keep it real simple, we have church walls in, we have church walls out, and there's King's University. So I'll, I'll do me last. Okay. Um, so church walls out, the Gateway Center for Israel led by Pastor Nick Lesmeister, who is doing a phenomenal job. Um, And basically what they do is they uh, help other churches get a vision for ministering to Jewish people. And so if it's church walls out, it's it's basically the Gateway Center for Israel. And so they're the ones who primarily do partner relations, uh, like First Fruits of Zion or or anything like that. So that's what they do. And, And it's church walls out. And then there's the King's University, which is not really part of Gateway, but it is the King's at Gateway. Mm-hmm. And they have a Messianic Jewish Studies program, and it's the only university in the world that you could get a bachelor's, master's, or doctorate level degree at uh, in Messianic leadership. And, um, and so uh, whenever Nick and I meet on our monthly meetings, mm-hmm. Dr. David Rudolph is always a part of those meetings. So even though they're not technically Gateway Church, they really are. And David are Rudolph will mix. speak for me, you know, and, and, and I teach classes for him. And so, uh, so that's a, that's the department. Then there's me, um, or our, the, the local Jewish department of gateway. And what that means is I'm responsible to lead Jewish ministries at gateway church. So that's anything that's at any of our campuses. Now, when you say church walls in, that would also include local Jewish evangelism, but anything that's part of the church, hmm. um, then, then that's me. So the center will train pastors outside the church and even inside the church, training pastors on, you know, because they want pastors to have this vision going sure. out, right? Yeah. But I'm, I'm responsible for in. So okay. that, that's kind of the 30,000-foot view. Got it. Got so it. You, talk about, you talk about this vision um, and— you know, Doctor or, or Pastor Morris, the senior pastor there, um, has made this really clear that this vision that God gave him for this idea of to the Jew first, like he credits that with Gateway's um, phenomenal success. I mean, those numbers you were spitting out earlier—that's like top four or five churches in the country as far as attendance. Um, and from what I've heard, the, the the giving there has has more than caught up with that. But uh, uh, Pastor Morris, he he credits. This idea of to the Jew first is being responsible for all of that success. So, what is like? Give, give us the the spiel as far as what does it mean that Gateway um, brings the gospel to the Jew first, and and why does Pastor Morris consider that to be the reason for Gateway's success? When I first came to Gateway, um, Doctor Wayne Wilkes, uh, who has been friends with Pastor Robert Morris. For more than 40 years. They were friends when they both were on staff at Shady Grove Church serving Pastor Olin Mills. Mm. And uh, and so 
Dr. Wayne Wilkes is now the executive director of uh, church and Jewish relations. So that's like a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but Dr. Wilkes told me um, that Gateway Church basically does, this is before the Gateway Center for Israel existed, when there was only one Jewish department. Mm-hmm. Do- Dr. Wilkes told me, he said, we basically do three things. Um, we believe in, in Jewish evangelism. We support the Messianic community around the world. And we teach the church about her Jewish roots. Mm-hmm. Those are our three things. And so uh, what makes Gateway stand out is this idea of two things. The Jewish evangelism, believing that Jewish people really do need Yeshua. Like, mm-hmm. clear about that. And the other thing is supporting the Messianic community around the world. So there are a lot of churches that believe in teaching the church about her Jewish roots. But they don't believe in Jewish evangelism. They don't believe that they should be sharing Jewish Yeshua with Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And they don't believe, um, in, in they won't support the Messianic community because that would offend, as it were, the traditional Jewish person. Mm-hmm. So that idea of really caring about the unsaved, the Jew who does not yet have Yeshua, is really significant. Um, about a year or two ago, I was in a meeting with, with uh, Pastor Robert was there. There were about 20 of us. Uh, I asked him a question. I said, Pastor Robert, I understand that, that you know, here at Gateway, we have these this three-part thing, so, so supporting the Messianic community, um, uh, Jewish evangelism, and teaching the church about her Jewish roots. Could you help me have a clearer picture of your vision and your focus, to have the balance, help me to have the balance between Jewish evangelism and teaching the church about her Jewish roots? I thought he would say and spend most of his time talking about Jewish evangelism, which he strongly believes, and he's clear on from the pulpit, that Jews do need Yeshua. Right. Okay, so he, he's, he's, but I thought he would spend more time on that. He actually spent more time uh, talking about the need to teach the church about her Jewish roots. So, to the Jew first, really, in my understanding, here at Gateway means, uh, here at, in the local church ministries, besides being in God, we, we care about you. You may not be in the, you know, in the church walls, as it were, even though you're outside. We care a lot about you because our people are not going to know what they need to know about Jewish Judaism if they don't know about what's going on around the world. So we care a lot about what's happening outside the, you know, throughout the world in Messianic Judaism. But but we really do spend uh, our, our time and our effort training, teaching the church about her Jewish roots. And at the same time, including within that, the need to be sharing your faith with Jewish people. I'm sure you know more than 90% of the Jews who come to faith in Yeshua are led by a Gentile. Church, yep, through the church. That's just, that's the reality. That's Romans 11 right there, right? To make yep. Israel envious, right? In a good way, not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in answer to sticking with your question, Jacob, in, in answer your, to your question, uh, Pastor Robert has a, um, he, he did a sermon here at Gateway called Blessed to be a Blessing. Uh, he gave it on April 2nd. 
2016. And you can find it online. Uh, it, that's, it was at the Messianic service, the, the Jewish service. And then that sermon was played, the video of that, for the weekend services on April 9th. So blessed to be a blessing. You could look up April 2nd, April 9th, or just the title, Blessed to be a Blessing. And he talked there about how he got the vision for this and and how it is implemented here at Gateway. Gateway Church is actually um, the number one church per capita giving in the country, twice that of second place. Wow. Now, take that thought and put it together with the thought that he says God told him the reason this church is blessed is to the Jew Mm. first. So why do I think that what he's saying has a great deal of gravity to it? The fifth commandment says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment for the promise, Paul said in in Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. So this is the first, and what is the promise? The promise is that you will live long on the earth and things will go well for you. Or like Spock says, live long and prosper. prosper yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So, okay, so the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother and you'll live long and prosper. Romans chapter 9, verses 4 and 5 says that there are eight things that pertain to Israel. The adoption, the glory, the covenants, the law, the service, the promises, um, the, the fathers and 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 Christ mm-hmm. the Messiah eight things that, that that pertain to Israel but one of them is the fathers the fathers is really significant because you see um, they're the only group of people that the Bible actually says are the fathers of the church they're the only group of people you can for example I have a biological father. He's gone mm-hmm. to be with the Lord now. I have a stepfather. Okay. Uh, every church, local church, has a father. My dog has a father. <laughs> Everybody's got a father. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's one thing. A local church has fathers. Within the church, there are the fathers, people like Peter and Paul. Or you can go out to the early church fathers. You can come to people like Augustine. But there's only one group of people that are called the fathers of the church in the New Testament that are not a part of the church yet. And that's Israel. They are the fathers of the church. And it's not just Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The word fathers there is patriarchs. The same word is used by Stephen in Acts chapter 7 when he refers to the 12 sons of Jacob as the Mm -hmm. same Greek word, the patriarchs of the, of, of, right. The patriarchs. Mm -hmm. So, and then Paul is referring to these fathers in Romans nine, five, who he says in Romans nine, three, that his countrymen, according to the flesh, these are people who are living. So he's referring to living Jews who do not, have the revelation of who Yeshua is yet, and he calls them the fathers of the church. What Gateway is doing is it is honoring the fathers of the church, not fathers within the church, the fathers of the church. Mm -hmm. There's only one group of people for whom that has any application. Yeah. 
It's Israel. Mm-hmm. So if the fifth commandment has application, live long and prosper, how do we get a hold of that? And I would suggest to you the way that the, that the body of Messiah can get a hold of that is a couple things. First, share your faith in a loving way, not in a pushy way, in a, in a gentle, in a loving way, without any sense of pushing. Because I believe um, fire and brimstone evangelism is horrible right. with Jewish people. Always. Absolutely. Absolutely. Always. Okay? But to do it, to entreat the elders within the church as fathers and to do it with honor and respect and to share our love for Yeshua with honor and respect with Jewish people, now you've got a winning combination. And to train the people within the church to love and honor Israel. And not to fall aside for the fact that they need Yeshua, but to love and honor. And you know, to to win a, a Jewish people to the place where he'll receive Jesus, it's it's you honor the you honor Judaism. Of course, you know, that that's how you do it. That makes that makes you know like wow, they actually have something about my Jewish roots that that I wish I had. And the Jew begins to think that. Yeah. I, I've shared that many times growing up uh, as a as a young Jewish kid, and and then you know coming to coming to faith, uh, my Judaism without Yeshua was was incomplete. Um, but I would never have wanted someone to like you know what you did, try, what you said, try to try to force me away from my Judaism. But Yeshua completed that, and and I've I've talked about that a lot. You you gain a new love and appreciation for your Judaism when you have Yeshua in it. But I want to ask you a question about evangelism. You touched on fire and brimstone evangelism, and again. Growing up, I know you grew up in a traditional Jewish home. Um, I know that uh, reading some or learning a bit about your background, I, I saw you, I heard you say one time, my parents, I felt like would have almost rather me, you know, remain in this terrible, horrible drug life or whatever else was going on than, than accept Yeshua. Like it's, it's, the, it's the worst sin. Okay. The radioactive um, core. Right. You can do anything you want, just don't do that. <laughs> right, 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 right. But but and and I know that part of that, part of that that um that it's it's a fear really for for many Jewish people, a fear that their Jewish identity will be erased. I mean, they talk about it in 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 Israel, it's defined as you're you're killing a Jewish soul. If if you if you convince them to become followers of Yeshua, you, you're killing a Jewish soul. Like that's the level of passion that is that surrounds evangelism. Now, here's my question: because of it, Jewish evangelism is a big part of the 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 three pronged approach. There is a tendency for Jews who become disciples of Yeshua to then be encouraged to walk away from their Judaism. It has happened for thousands of years. How, how because it's a part of what you do, it's a big part of your mission, um, how common is that in your community? I know you have an in, within the walls, you, you safeguard Jewish expression, but do you find that to be um, 
an issue? What do you do to, to keep Jews Jews, you know, and not sort of vanish off into the, into the pew somewhere, so to speak? Well, I, and, and you kind of said it, but I'll just describe it. Um, we encourage Jewish people to stay Jewish. Mm-hmm. So we do not want, so I'll, I'll take that principle and I'll link it to right. Galatians 3.28, um, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, right. slave nor free. And a lot of people think that when you accepted Yeshua, mm-hmm. you became part of Israel. Well, that would be like saying, when I accepted Yeshua, I lost my masculine identity. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. You know what? I woke up the next day and I'm still a man. And if anybody forgets that they're a man, they haven't stopped being a man. Their DNA will still say they're a man. What they are is they're confused. And the person who thinks that they have become Israel, become Jewish when they get saved, is just confused. The curse says the male is superior to the female. That's the curse. Mm -hmm. The curse would say that the female is superior to the male. That would be the curse. The curse would say that the Jew is superior to the Gentile. The curse would say the Gentile is superior to the Jew. The fool (laughs) says there's no difference between a man and a woman. And Paul says the Jew and the Gentile become one in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. But But remember this, he also says that the male and the female become one in Ephesians chapter 5, husband and wife. But the husband does not stop being a man, and the wife does not stop being a woman. And the smart man wants his wife, and here's the key, wants his wife to celebrate her femininity in front of him. The foolish man wants his wife to stop celebrating her femininity and being a woman in front of him. He gets blessed when she is all that she is called to be as a woman. The wise woman does not want the man to stop being masculine. She wants him to celebrate her masculinity in front of her. The, the, and the, the husband and the wife enter a fulfilled life, a fulfilled, think of this word fulfill, fulfillment now, okay? They enter a fulfilled lifestyle. When the husband and the wife honor the differences, where this is this is like it is for the Jew and the Gentile. Israel will remain in partial blindness until the Gentile yeah. church wakes up and realizes what her special call is in how her relationship mm-hmm. to the Jew should be. And when she does that, yeah. that's when Jewish people come to faith. And so we want to encourage Jewish people to stay Jewish. How do we do that? Well, keep a Sabbath. We have Sabbath groups Um, Mm -hmm. uh, and and Jews and Gentiles. You know, Jews are called, for example, to to keep Passover. Uh, uh, Exodus 12 says if a Jew doesn't keep Passover, cut him off, cut off. In other words, he's no longer part of the covenant. So we're called Mm -hmm. He's not a Jew is really what that's saying. You don't keep Passover, how are you Jewish? Okay, so 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 right. start keeping Passover. <laughs> Be Jewish. <laughs> right? So so what we we encourage people, 
the Gentiles are invited to Passover, but they're not called the same way. They don't, they're not, they don't stop being Jewish if they don't keep Passover, right? But we stop being Jewish if we, right? So if we stop keeping Passover. And so we encourage people to do, to, to live out there. Gentiles are welcome to join us, but this is who we are. And as long as there is a uh, sun and the moon and the stars in the sky above, Jeremiah 31, as long as that exists, then there will be this nation that God will not forget, the Jew. And so therefore, there is this sense of the church should honor Israel, right? And, 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 and live out your Jewishness. We're happy. You know, Jesus, you know, Yeshua, you know, Jesus. I use both words all the time because sure. I want everybody to feel comfortable, right? Absolutely. And so they honor this. And so this is so important. And Gateway has a culture of honor. Apart from any of this, this is one of the places where where honor is is bestowed. So we encourage people to be Jewish. You ju- so we, we have Shabbat services. It's only once a month, Arab Shabbat. And I can, and then, and we we do have dala. Let me describe for you what we encourage people to do with Shabbat. Um, when I teach on Shabbat, I I, I tell people, um, why don't you have a Shabbat group in your home? And 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 once a month, just literally, just once a month, keep Sabbath in your home, and don't even invite anybody over. Mm-hmm. Just do it with your family once a month. And what will happen is. Once a month, your son is going to experience you putting your hand on his head and blessing him. The vast majority of the world knows what it's like to be slapped by their father. (laughs) And the very few people know what it's like to have their father put their hand on their head and bless him. Imagine what will be different in your life, your legacy, if once a month, just once a month, you put your hand on your kid's head and bless him. And he has to watch you do the same thing to his mother, to your wife. Mm-hmm. Your legacy is completely different. right? And that's yeah. if you only do it once a month. And don't even invite anybody else over, just your family. Yeah. Then once a month, do the same thing, but invite somebody else over. Now... Once a month, your kid has to deal with the embarrassment of being blessed by his father in front of everybody else. (laughs) He's going to deal with the embarrassment of his father blessing his mother in a godly way in front of his friends. And we've all seen our friends' parents fight, but your kid's going to have to deal with the fact that daddy blessed mommy in front of other people. Your legacy is completely different. Once a month, keep Sabbath with just you and your family. Once a month, keep Sabbath with you, your family, and one other family. Yeah. Once a month, come to the Shabbat service at Gateway. It's beautiful. That's three of the four weeks right there. Yeah, right, right. What about the fourth week? Feel free. I just tell feel free. Do what you want, right? So that's what we do. So so we're we're getting I have no idea how many Sabbath groups we have. We have we only have like twenty eight or maybe thirty official Sabbath groups, official. But we got hundreds that are just like people just do it. Yeah. You know, just like I learn every week. I'm learning, oh you do a Sabbath. Oh, you do a Sabbath, right? Hundreds of them. 
right? And people have groups of people over their houses for these. And so they're just unofficial. And so we train people on how to do, we have videos online in the Gateway Resource Library on how you can learn how to do the Sabbath in your home. They're all short, they're all under eight minutes. Um, so we encourage people to keep the Sabbath in their home. We do have dollar um, every Saturday mm-hmm. uh, at during the four o'clock service. And um, uh, during Havdala, uh, there's a few things that we do every week. You know, now we don't meet every week. We'll, we, we'll take December off, and we'll take uh, uh, our plan for next year is to take August off, or actually July off. We'll take July off. Yeah. So other than that, you know, we meet. And so, and what do we do? Well, it opens up with a someone. We have a moderator, or whatever, or a greeter, and they welcome everybody. And then we have a uh, we have a testimony. We always have a testimony. Um, the testimony will be uh, up to s- seven to ten minutes, and then there's a uh, we do the Havdalah liturgy, and that's five to seven minutes, whatever. And then I teach. I'll say some words about the teaching in a moment, and uh, and then we have the onig, the after party, the mm-hmm. the food fellowship, the and delight. that that will last the delight, and that will last. 50 minutes to an hour. Uh, the meeting starts at four o'clock and security's in the building till six. And they'll always come up and say, we want to go home. Please right. end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like the clock. So right. what do we do in the teaching hour? I started doing this in, uh, 2016. And in 2016, every lesson was on Yeshua in the book of Leviticus. Uh, in 2017, every lesson was on the Jewishness of Revelation. 2018, every lesson, so we went Old Testament, New Testament. 2018, every lesson was on uh, Life in the Wilderness, Book of Numbers. 2019, every lesson was on the Book of Hebrews. 2020, 21, you got COVID. Now, in last year, 2000, uh, now when I say 2000, I'm referring to the, really, we start in the fall, like at the biblical new year yeah but so last year um we did uh we started jewish insights into the psalms and and so we're doing the same thing again this year and so every lesson uh, so i'll teach for 45 minutes on a psalm and i take things that the church believes and i take things that judaism believes Mm -hmm. and i do this Mm -hmm. and i'm and i'll i will say things that are like in the talmud or the mission or whatever. But I, I will also, sometimes I will just say, this is like what's in the Talmud and this is really good. Or this is in the Talmud and this is, this is silly. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, yeah, yeah. you know, you will find that Judaism has got 10,000 things right that the church got wrong. But you will also find that the church got 10,000 things wrong but they got the biggest thing right. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing more important than that biggest thing. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so the church, when she takes the biggest thing and the things that are true and links them with the things that Judaism offers, they come alive. Sure. It just, it's, it's wonderful at that point. Absolutely. Sign up to become an FFOZ friend today at ffoz.org slash friends and join First Fruits of Zion to restore the authentic faith and message of the Jewish Jesus.
centuries of misunderstanding about the Torah, the Jewish people, and the Jewishness of the New Testament obscured the real good news message of the kingdom. Today, a prophetic resurgence of faith is breaking out, and FFOZ friends are at the forefront of this restoration. Become a friend today at ffoz.org friends. So talking about that Havdalah service, um, something happened, I, th- I guess, fairly recently that I thought was interesting, which was like a tiny little rebrand of that service, where instead of just calling it Havdalah and putting that um, word out, that, that Hebrew word out there, you're calling it Jesus Jewish Roots. Um, which I found to be kind of fascinating because any organization that's leading people um, into an understanding of the Jewish foundations of their faith, um, as you said, there was a, such a major component there, teaching Gentiles about how important it is that their faith is rooted in in Judaism and the Jewish people. Um, there's always a question of, well, uh, how how what's like the hook? Or like, how can we get someone who doesn't know anything about this sort of through the front door or through a side door. Like for me, I was in high school and my dad was was just eating up everything he could find about biblical prophecy. This was like around the year 2000. I'm not sure if that had something to do with it, but oh, no. we were he was pulling in stuff from like these big prophecy conferences. And it was interesting how many of these guys would talk about Jewish sources like Chuck Missler was there talking about him how he was a New Testament Kabbalist after reading Nachmanides, right? And we we're just like, what? <laughs> and um, you know, Zola Levitt talking about the feasts of Israel and prophecy and all that stuff. Um, Havdalah by itself, I, I think you probably realized at some point it's it's difficult to fully explain what that is to someone who's new. And we're all about explaining things to people who are new here at First Design, as well as educating people who have been part of this thing for, you know, 30 years. Tell us a little bit about branding and strategy. I mean, what was the conversation in the room like when you decided, hey, let's, we're, we're not going to stop calling it Havdali in the room, but as our advertisement for this thing, we're going to try to make it more accessible. Is that sort of a, is that something you guys have to do a lot with Jewish ideas at Gateway? Well, we're always learning. We're always trying to, to learn how to be more effective. This matters. And so I was in a discussion. Every campus has a person that we call a Jewish champion. And for the most part, they're Gentiles. They're people who are championing Jewish ministry at their campus. And so we were in this discussion, and, and some of them mentioned that the word Havdalah is a difficult word because basically what happens is the Gentiles in the congre- in the campus of the congregation hear the word Havdalah, and they, they don't even ask questions about it. They think, well, that's not for me. That's for the Jewish people. We have a Jewish ministry, and this is obviously for them. Right. It's like if we have a biker ministry, and I'm not a biker, so I'm not going to go to it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so this word Havdalah is a problem. And, but once people come to the meeting, or they come to the Shabbat service, they go, Hey, this is really good. So we talked about it and we said, well, let's let's stop using now. We don't we didn't change anything about what we do in the room. And we told the people in the room what we were doing. But outside the room, we started calling it Jesus's Jewish roots. Not Yeshua's Jewish roots. Right. Jesus's Jewish roots. Who are we trying to win? What's the point of a title? 
You're trying to attract people. So the word Havdalah is not an attractive word. It pushes people away. To be frank, if they don't already know the word Yeshua, it's not going to attract people. The word Jesus is going to attract people. So we started to call it Jesus's Jewish roots. And and all the campuses seem to really be liking it. Um, so we, in the room, we'll, or, you know, in the ministries, like we have a Sukkot cookout while we're there, we'll call it Sukkot cookout while we're there. But what are we going to put online? Tabernacle. Feast of Tabernacles cookout, sure. right? What are we going to call a Yom Kippur? Day of Atonement, right? Yeah. The, the one you're kind of stuck with is Rosh Hashanah. Because Yom Teru right. is not an improvement. <laughs> right, right. And he- Happy head, of, head of the year doesn't doesn't bring them in either. You know, I, I led the synagogue that I lead in Macon uh, for about, it's 14 years old this year. So for a large percentage of its life, it was called Nachamu Ami Messianic Synagogue. Okay, Isaiah 40, like beautiful, beautiful comfort, keep comforting my people. Nachamu Ami Messianic Synagogue. We're in Macon, Georgia. The people in my own congregation couldn't pronounce it, you know? And someone drives by and sees it, what? Nachamu, Nachami, what? So about, you know, about two and three years ago, we said, wow, guess what? We should speak in a language people understand. So now it's Shalom Macon. And guess what? People like to come. And they know what they, they, it's just the the terminology. We sometimes get really hooked up, uh, tied up, I guess, on terminology to the detriment of the message. So I certainly hear what you're saying. Oh, it's amazing. And I'm not at all, like, obviously, obviously, Yeshua lived and died without ever even hearing the word Jesus. And no one in his immediate family, right, parents or, you know, siblings or their kids or their kids after them. I don't even know how, how, I mean, the word Jesus didn't exist probably for centuries, right? Centuries. So I'm not at all down on the word Yeshua. I'm just saying that if you really want to win people, maybe the word Jesus is, and most people who will visit a church, they're already, the, the issue of Jesus versus Yeshua, if they're, if they're a Jew and they're visiting a church, it's a non-issue. Sure it is. You're yeah, going to create definitely. an issue right, with the word right, Yeshua. Right. You're going to create an issue with the word Sukkot. Yeah. Well, that used to be the big, like, that was the messianic no-no. You know, you can't say Jesus. Jewish people won't come. Well, guess what? People, Jewish people know the term Yeshua, too. They know who you're talking about. It doesn't, like, you know, it's it's not that uh, big of a deal. But anyway. Um, so the, when I'm preaching, like, in the church, like, in our, in our Shabbat service, um, I will... Like I will, it's very intentional for me. Uh, I, I will in my mind. I'll, oh, the last time I said Jesus, I'll say Yeshua. Oh, the last yeah. time I said Yeshua. Oh, I said I'll, I'll say Jesus. Or, or I said two or three times. I better I better start using this. Right. I'm just yeah. going back and forth. Why? Because I want the Jews to feel comfortable. I want the Gentiles in the room to feel comfortable. Right. Right. And I'm just going back and forth. We don't change what we do in the in the room in terms of Sukkot or. The, the, anything that we might do, we're very light on liturgy, extremely mm-hmm. light on lit, lighter 
than you could possibly imagine. We do some, but we're light on it. Why are we light on it? Because if, if that was attractive to Jews, they would, they would be in the synagogue. Yeah. It that's, doesn't attract Jewish people. No, my, my, my experience with that has been that it is a progression for some Jewish people. If they, if they find beauty in it, they'll come back to it. But that's not why a Jewish per- person is not coming to the Messianic synagogue or so that they can say, go through you know, the prayers. I think the prayers are beautiful. I love the prayers. I do we, too. We, we pray the prayers, you know, part of our service. But yeah, you're right. Um, it's just, not. and you need enough of it, sure, enough well, of it, so that Jewish people feel like it's home, right? And and we are, you know, our our world of Messianic Judaism, which is, I know, something different certainly than Gateway Gateway, but there's a pretty wide spread of what a Messianic Jewish synagogue looks like in terms of, you know, how much liturgy and how how little, but. Um, the Gentile question. Jacob is our Jacob is a Gentile on our podcast, so I'm yes. I'm really curious about like we had talked about Jacob and I before the podcast about Gentiles and what's an appropriate level. Jacob, you want to you want to ask questions like how do how do the lines not get blurred and and offend people on either side? I guess, you know, because like, well, I mean, obviously there's, you you dip your toe anywhere into this pool and about a, a 15 billion people are going to be mad at you for all different kinds of reasons, right? <laughs> there's, there's, there's the, there's a traditional Jewish response that says, what are, what are Gentiles doing saying Kiddush on Erev Shabbat? That's sort of, a, that's sort of something that belongs to us, right? Or you might have traditional Christians saying, um, hold on, aren't you putting people back under the law? Aren't you Judaizing these people? And, um, you know, these, these sort of common objections that, um, you know, here at First Roots, we have, we have labored just incessantly to help people parse these Bible verses that these objections come from and help them to see um, you know, the bigger picture of Jewish Jewish and Gentile followers of Yeshua becoming one, but not becoming the same, as you talked about earlier. But, you know, what what do you do with somebody who, who finds out what's going on there and and uh, they they try to tell you how wrong you are about all of it? And do you have like do you, do you, do you have like stock responses? Do you have like a hundred uh, emails that you can just <laughs> pick this one and this is the one? Because we've heard all this objection before. number like, forty-seven. Send the yeah, response. How, how do you how do you <laughs> gently lead? How do you gently lead the? Uh, I won't say the haters, but the people who are concerned um, to to a place where they sort of understand where you're coming from. Well, um, I think I got this thought from Dan Juster, um, I, I, which which is I think helpful. Um, we would never tell. Just step outside of the whole Jewish context for a moment, okay? And so you walk into a church and and you meet some people and maybe they raise their hands when they when they worship. Do you believe that you're saved because you raise your hands? Of course not. Okay, uh, you find somebody else they tithe. Do you believe you're saved because you tithe? Of course not. Right? What are these things? They're forms of worship. 
What is the primary purpose of, of the Torah? It's instruction. Okay, it's a unique calling to be, I'm not saying that there's no law, as it were, like in terms of what people think, but but the primary purpose of Torah is instruction. Mm-hmm. And and so um, God is calling people to it. And and the law, I, I will often, oh, I, I will often say, you know, Romans chapter 7, verse 12 says the law is good, righteous, and holy. And Romans 7, verse 14 says the law is spiritual. So, uh, and, and, and second Thessalonians chapter two, verse three says the antichrist is the lawless one. Mm-hmm. And David said, oh, how I love your law. Would you rather be more like the antichrist or more like David who has a heart <laughs> after God? Hmm. You know, so it's not a question of is the law good or bad? The law is good if one uses it lawfully. In fact, in Romans chapter seven or chapter Nine verse four and five. I alluded to this earlier. It lists eight things that that are given that were given to Israel first: the adoption, the, the glory, the covenants, the promises, um, the law, the service, the law, uh, the, uh, the fathers, and 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 Christ, Messiah. One of them is the law. Now, the law is in that context of every one of those things that is like phenomenally good. So the law is not supposed to be perceived as anything other than something that is phenomenally good. Mm -hmm. Mm. So what is the law? So the law is primarily, primarily instruction. And primarily instruction to do what? How to live a life of worship. How to live a life of honoring and loving God, right? And if I see, for example, being kosher, as a form of worship all of a sudden it's not judaizing that's offensive like people don't realize how that comes across to a jewish person you know Mm -hmm. um but but let let me say a few words about eating in acts chapter 20 um verses acts chapter 15 verses 20 through 29 it says there are four things that god requires of gentiles one of them is not circumcision right there are four things and one of them is uh sexual immorality and then the other three have to do with eating Mm -hmm. don't eat food uh that's been strangled don't eat blood and and don't eat food that's been offered to idols three of the four things have to do with eating the fourth one has to do with sexual immorality none of the four things say to keep kosher none of the four things say don't eat pork None of the four things say don't eat shellfish, but it does say don't eat blood. It does say don't eat uh, strangled food. In other words, be, be merciful when you harvest your food. And it does say don't eat food that's sacrificed to idols. And then so in Acts 15, the question that the apostles are dealing with is what does God require of Gentiles? Well, in Acts 21, there's a different question. What does God require of Jews? And they say to Paul, it's being required, it's being reported about you that you're telling Jews they don't have to be circumcised or keep the customs. Well, customs is less than the law. You're going, Paul, you're going around telling people they don't have to keep the customs. Right? And so, um, and and they say, and there's myriads of Jews. The word for myriads is actually the same word that's translated 10,000 times 10,000. There's massive numbers of Jews who accepted Yeshua in the first century. And so, 
you're telling Jews they don't have to. So how do I see eating? Eating for me is a form of worship. And and I, I was kosher as a kid. I stopped being kosher for most of my adult life. And when I got in my early 50s, I think I was 52, one day I was sitting at a, at a table and I had shrimp in front of me. And the Lord, and I know this was the Lord, drew my attention to the little black line in the shrimp. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he said to my heart, you're a king's kid. You don't have to eat that. And all of a sudden it occurred to me, let me say some things about eating. Eating is the central act of worship in the Bible. People think it's singing. It is not. The fall of man occurs on the battlefield of food. And in the final chapter of the Bible, people are eating from the tree of life. There are five sacrifices in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. The whole burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. The last two, chapters 4 and 5, the sin and trespass offering are for forgiveness. The first three are not for forgiveness. The first three, in fact, in the Jewish Study Bible, which I could pull out, uh, but I have to reach for it. The Jewish Study Bible, which is not Messianic, says that the first three chapters have nothing to do with forgiveness. They're food offerings. And of these five chapters, three of them, the offerings are called most holy, including the grain offering, which has no blood. Which means blood is irrelevant to the question of, is it most holy? The other offerings are called holy. So of these five offerings, the whole burnt offering, only God gets it, right? It's not one of the most holy. The grain offering, God and the priest eat it because the God gets the handful and burned up and the rest of it, the priests eat. So that one is called most holy, even though it has no blood. The next one, the peace offering, which uh, the priest gets the the uh, fat and the and the blood, or God gets the fat and the blood. They're burned up, so God the Father's food. So these are the food offerings, the first three. The rest of the food is eaten by the by the worshiper, except for the the breast and the right thigh, the priest's portion. Which means that it's not just God the Father and the priest. Now, when you think of priest, think of Yeshua. It's not just God the Father and the priest, or God God and the Son. It's also the worshiper. Because it's not God and the Son, therefore it's not most holy. It's just holy. Then you come to the sin offering and the trespass offering. And those two offerings, um, the blood and the, and the fat are burned up. Again, that's God the Father's portion. And the rest of the animal is eaten by the priest. That's the priest. So that's God the Father, God the Son. So this is the, and you can get this out of the Jewish study Bible. This is amazing. Of those five offerings, chapter 2, which has no blood, chapter 4 and chapter 5, those three chapters are called most holy. The ones that God the Father and God the Son have. He who has the Father has the Son. Mm-hmm. He who has the Son has the Father. Those are the three that are called most holy. The two that have any, but that don't either have the Son, like the first chapter, Leviticus 1, the whole burnt offering, or the peace offering where worshipers eat it, they're holy, but they're not most holy. So eating all of a sudden becomes this phenomenal act of worship, not just the sacrifices. So in other words, the first three, the first ones are food sacrifices. They're not, they're not for forgiveness. That's why on Yom Kippur, you've got to have a sin sacrifice, which is for forgiveness, and a whole burnt offering, which is for dedication. 
Okay, so so the the first three are food offerings, but the ones that are most holy are the ones that God the Father and God the Son get. Eating is the central act of worship. All the feasts are eaten. All the fasts are not eaten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All, tithing is that food can be in my house. The New Testament says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, whatever you eat or drink, do it unto the Lord. In other words, do it as an act of worship. The New Testament says, um, don't let your belly become your God. The New Testament um, tells us uh, that there are four things that are required of Gentiles that come to faith, and three of them have to do with food. The New Testament tells us that Yeshua's first miracle was turning water to wine, food. Eating is the central act of worship. The the only universal act of worship in the church is communion, eating. There are no universal songs in the church, but there's communion. Now, I'm not diminishing singing. No. Uh, Obedience is the foundation of all worship. It did not matter if David could sing a good song when he was sleeping with Bathsheba. And let my people go that they may worship me and let them go out into the wilderness. And they got out into the wilderness at Mount Sinai and he gave them the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments are the foundation of worship. You can't be thinking you're a worshiper if you're sleeping with your neighbor's wife. So the Ten Commandments or obedience is the foundation of all worship. Eating is the central act of worship and singing is the most uplifting form of worship. But it's not the central act. The central act is eating. And nothing will change your life quicker than if you recognize, here's the Torah now, if you recognize that one of the things, one of the ways we worship God is by recognizing that every time I eat, I'm worshiping. If you eat anything that did not literally die, it will not nourish you. So that the cross is built into all forms of of nourishment. You cannot be nourished without it. You did not think about God the first time you sang. The first time you sang, you saw singing as A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, O, Now I said my ABCs, tell me what you think of me. You just were singing. You trained yourself to experience God while you were singing. And I believe from experience, you can train yourself to experience God when you eat. And I believe that's what God wants. And and we've all had it happen. You're eating something and you think to yourself, I can't believe how good this is. And I think what God wants right then is say, God, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Right. Eating that cup that you're drinking right there, that central act of worship, all forms of it'll change your life. I don't sing, honestly, every day. I don't sing throughout the day. I eat throughout every day. And the (laughs) only time I'm not eating or drinking throughout the day is when I'm fasting, which is the whole uh, which is really an eating issue. So eating all of a sudden, if I get my head wrapped around this right, becomes this central act of worship. Now, if I can do that with eating, 
I think I can do that with anything that's in the Torah. How can I use this to worship God? Yeah. That was quite the reframe of the of the kashrut issue, but I think really well. It really, it's, you know, it's it's good. I mean, and this is this is this is Judaism, right, Damien? I mean, we say a bracha before everything that you eat. There's a, there's a bracha specific to that, or or non-specific enough to cover it, and because there's a realization that Hashem has provided all of it, right? And then after. <laughs> And then after, right. and that's a lot longer. That's, that's the lot. one where you gotta you gotta make t- time for. It was nice that God made the longer one after, though. See, so that yeah, you have to yeah. wait. <laughs> so, you shall eat and be satisfied. That's pretty short. We don't bless the food. That would be idolatry. We bless the God who gave the food. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the Universe, who Hamotzi. brings forth bread from the earth. We're we're, we're blessing Him. Yeah, when we bless right our meal, yeah, that's definitely. that's worship. Yep. Well, I'm six three, two hundred and forty pounds. So, man, I really, really get a lot of opportunities to worship in a day. When we, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like to eat and thank God for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you for what the community at Gateway is doing. Thank you for working and laboring. Really, we're, we are co-laboring in this field. Um, our missions are aligned in many ways in that we, we have for 30-some years taken on the mission of defeating replacement theology in the church, um, d- devastating supersessionism at its root, um, and also presenting an authentic picture of Yeshua to our Jewish brothers and sisters, because you just can't you just can't convince uh, an observant Jew in any way that the Messiah came to do away with the Torah. That just that that reasoning just doesn't work. So doesn't thank you work. for thank you for what you are doing, especially in your position within the walls. And Nick, I've heard Nick's teachings. I've seen his videos. All of it. Um, it's just he's nice remarkable. Be, yeah, it's nice to be. Uh, you are you are a picture of what we hope to see happening in the world one day when churches really we do have the proper one new man perspective, not that we're some amorphous blob, you know, but that we're 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 together in it from our unique identities. Something you said a few moments ago that I think is really helpful to Gateway, and I think I think would help any church. Uh, and when we've had uh, Jewish, traditional Jewish rabbis confront us on things, I, I will respond like this. I'll say there's two things that Gateway stands strongly against. Number one is any form of replacement theology. Just because a person comes to, uh, be, I be, we believe in Messianic Jews, but we also believe there are Messianic Gentiles. They don't become a Jew. They become Messianic Gentiles, and they're not less than a Jew. That would be cursive thinking. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're blessed. Like my wife is not less than me. So we're against any form of replacement theology, but we're also against any form of anti-Semitism. Mm. Yeah. Right. And uh, and and so uh, and those two things it really helps I think people to hear that that we we are against replacement theology. We are against anti-Semitism. Well, man, with twenty-six million people hearing the the live sermons and and Pastor Morris, there's never never been a more important time than as we're watching the flame of anti-Semitism 
growing once again. I mean, it's impossible to imagine, but we know it's we know it's a reality. So uh, that's a good thing to stand for. We're with you. Stand against against, I should say. Anybody could do what I do when you have a leader who is, is just just and he, he doesn't talk about it often, but when he talks about it, he's very clear. Yeah. So the the church is not trying to. Uh, it's not to the Jew only. It's just to the Jew first. Mm-hmm. But as Robert said, uh, God does not think his way is the best way. He thinks it's the only way. Hmm. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, I think we're about out of time. But at the end of every podcast, we like to ask our guest a few questions that we don't give them in advance. And we ask that they answer off the top of their head. All we can promise is that the stakes are low. So, <laughs> Pastor Dr. Greg Stone of Gateway Church, did you uh, serve in the armed forces? I heard that you did. I did. Air, uh, Air, Force, Air Force for um, 11 years, nine months, and two days. I loved it. I got out because the Lord called me to ministry. Yeah. My wife served for two years, um, and she got out when she got pregnant with our first child. Three of our sons uh, were impressed enough that they all went in, and one of wow. their wives went in. Wow. So um, it, the military had a significant impact on our lives. So my mom was in the service. My dad was in before I was born. My mom was in for all of my childhood, and I definitely have some favorite. Uh, she was in the Air Force too, actually. And I have some favorite places uh, that I have fond memories of. Do you have a favorite duty station? Uh, I I have more than one. I got saved in, in Hawaii, my first assignment. That was fantastic. Oh, um, yeah. I, uh, I really liked Eglin Air Force Base on the panhandle of Florida. Oh, yeah, really liked it a there. lot. Yeah. And, um, and then uh, and I really liked Whiteman Air Force Base in Missouri a lot. Okay. But I was in other places as well. I won't say that I really liked Minot, North Dakota, but I was there. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. So second question in the rapid fire round, uh, Christian engagement with Judaism changed a lot after the medieval period into, you know, I'm thinking of like in the 1800s, the early 1800s, the uh, London Society being founded for um, promoting Christ among the Jews. And um, so much has happened since then. And the awareness of Judaism and Jewish issues is so much higher now. But I wonder, just looking back at all that history, if there's one figure, one person that stands out to you as having done the most or having impacted you maybe the most as far as raising awareness of that vital connection between Judaism and Christianity? Alfred Edersheim. Edersheim, yeah. I love I've got him up here on the bookshelf somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. Fantastic. Social Life of the Days of Christ uh, also. Um, Old Testament history. He, He wrote some great stuff. Good stuff. All right. Uh, third question. Tell us about the best meal you had in the land of Israel. Oh, man. Talk about a long list. You got me hungry. <laughs> now I'm going to get you hungry. <laughs> Talk about food. Um, wow. Uh, I don't know. Um, okay. I, you know, I mean, the fish at the Sea of Galilee, the salads that are all over the place, the fruit, the there vegetables. Um, uh, I, I, there's a, there's a place, I think it's called Harvey's on, hmm. uh, Jaffa street, which gives brisket. Uh, that's pretty okay. Texan, you know? Yeah. There yeah, you go. Of course. Yeah, you can find a little everything over there. I heard there's even a kosher Korean place that I got to go try someday if I ever. 
Uh, I love the food there. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Nice. All right, finally, your favorite variety of apple to dip in honey on Rosh Hashanah. Well, my favorite apple is Honey Crisp. Honey well, Crisp! It wins. Yeah. It wins all the yeah. time. It really does. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> I eat an apple every day. I just, I just, I would eat more than one, but I pro- it just probably wouldn't be. My stomach would say, don't do this, you know? <laughs> a, a, well, a doctor eating an apple a day, does that keep everyone else away? Yeah. <laughs> I, I eat it, you know, and sometimes it's, a, it's an apple. You know I mean? Oh, a real big yeah. one? Yeah. I yeah. like apples. Well, nice. Pastor Greg, we are, uh, again, appreciative of the time you spent with us today, the work that you are doing, and pray that, uh, pray that God, our Father, will continue to bless you with wisdom and insight, long life, health, prosperity, and all the good things that you need to keep doing the work. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'll take it all. All right. And you too. I really appreciate what you guys do. It's extremely helpful and, and, and beneficial for the entire body of Messiah. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Torah Club is the world's fastest growing Messianic Jewish Bible study. You can start or join a club today at TorahClub.org. Know Jesus better through an in-depth small group Bible study and fellowship with other like-minded disciples. Start a club or join a club at TorahClub.org. Torah Club is where disciples learn. Wow, man, that was that was a lot. There was, I mean, we we got teaching, we got strategy, we we learned all kinds of things in that podcast. One one of the things that I was curious about, we talked about in the beginning, was this the Jewish evangelism idea, and I think that that is beautiful. I know that they approach that from a very healthy perspective, and that's incredibly important given the influence that they have uh, at Gateway. I was also intrigued by the answer. When we talk about, you know, sort of that fine line where you're introducing Gentiles into Judaism and saying, hey, these are all really good things to do. I mean, and that's true. It's absolutely true. And and we encourage all of that, obviously. We certainly encourage Gentile participation, but even we've been accused sometimes of like, you know, accused of pushing too hard on that like you're you're turning gentiles into jews yeah. and and that's not and i feel like gateway and first roots of zion have a very clear perspective on the beautiful distinction that remains when jews and gentiles become quote one new man in messiah and and i was i was encouraged by that yeah i was very i was very um uh, also encouraged to hear that just because again it's so easy to get it wrong but they to hear him say yep jewish people stay jewish gentiles stay gentile uh-huh. speaking of uh jews and gentiles working together maintaining their distinction but uh, cooperating on one incredible mission um this is the end of season two of messiah podcast thanks uh-huh. everybody for for listening and, and unfortunately um someone who who I'm sure has grown to become at least your second favorite host of Messiah Podcasts, <laughs> Damian Eisner, director of Torah Club, has become, as, as Torah Club grows every year, you might not know this, but Torah Club just gets bigger every year. So his plate just gets fuller every year. 
he has only so much time in the day. So he is going to be departing, finishing out the season with us, and yeah. he's not going to be coming back for next season. Yeah, I, I, when I knew Jacob was going to be co-hosting this thing, I had to do it. Uh, we just, I just <laughs> had to have a year with with Jacob. So it has been my pleasure and honor, and uh, this will be my last podcast. But guess what? Messiah podcast is just getting started because it will be Jacob and dun, 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 the mystery host for season yeah. three. Stay yeah, yeah. tuned. We've got her picked out already, but we're not going to tell you who it is, who this Jewish <laughs> woman is, who's going to be joining me for season three quite yet. But, um, awesome. but that's not all because at the end of every podcast, Damien, um, I like to ask the person I'm talking to a couple questions that I don't give them in advance. Oh, no. Honey crisp. So, uh, <laughs> Honey crisp. <laughs> so, D- Damien Eisner, director of Torah Club for First Fruits of Zion, who's your favorite Messianic Jewish pioneer? Uh, Lichtenstein. Lichtenstein. For certain. Which Fantastic. one? Don't ask me. I never. I can never remember. <laughs> Yechiel no. or Ignaz? Yechiel. Yeah. That incredible commentary that he wrote, man. Absolutely. He's transformed the way that I see Messiah Yeshua through Jewish eyes. Absolutely. What's the best thing about living in Macon, Georgia? Mm. Shalom Macon, the congregation. Oh, that's cheating. We'll take Oh, man, it is. But it's the the honest answer. It's all, all there is good in Macon. No, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Macon is a is has been an amazing place to raise a family. My family is much they're all older and la- youngest ones in college. Macon has been a huge blessing to my family and uh really, but in all seriousness, the thing that keeps me excited about being here is the congregation that I lead. Nice. Third question. Sell me Honey sell- Crisp. Oh. Sorry, so, I jumped again. That's the fourth question. Oh, oh. The third question is, as the director of Torah Club, sell me and sell uh, our listeners in like 20 words or less, why should they all go become Torah Club students? So that you can read the Bible and understand the, 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 the thing that is missing. It is the number one thing we hear. Why did you join Torah Club? Because I knew something was missing. I was reading my Bible. I was seeing this. I was not seeing this. And no one can answer the questions for me. And all okay. of a sudden, I joined Torah Club. I talked. I lived in this. I, I studied in this community. We grew. We bonded together. And now I understand and they say, I've never been closer. I've never had a deeper connection to God. I've never valued what I have in Messiah Yeshua more than I do now after Torah Club. That's more than 20 words, but you can't do that in 20 words. No, probably not. And finally, um, what's your favorite apple to dip in honey on Rosh Hashanah? Granny Smith. Granny Smith. Ah! (laughs) The sour one. (laughs) It's sweet and sour, man. Sweet no, you're and right. Sour. If you There's... already have honey on an apple, you don't need to have a sweet apple. I'm I'm totally with you. Fifty years I've been doing this, so you know. Granny, trust me on this. It's the apple I was raised on, and I and I grew to understand that you cannot brush your teeth anytime near uh, before eating one of those apples. <laughs> Just absolute agony, man. 
Well, thank you for uh, thank you for the year. I pray that we've had uh, we've been able to be a blessing to our listeners together. You and I, I've enjoyed co-laboring in the field of podcasting with you, my friend. Me too. So no. practice up. Take us out of here. Well, that's all for season two of Messiah Podcast. We hope you enjoyed uh, the time that you spent with us. We hope you learned something. If you enjoyed this episode, we've got a whole bunch more of them out there at messiahpodcast.org. And if you're interested, like Damien said, in becoming a Torah Club student, you can find that URL at torahclub.org. If you liked this episode, share it with a friend. Give us a five-star rating on whatever your favorite podcast distributor is. And join us next year for Season 3. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Messiah Podcast, where Jesus is Jewish and that changes everything. This podcast is an extension of Messiah Magazine, available at messiahmagazine.org. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review along with a five-star rating wherever you're listening now. Today's podcast was hosted by myself, Jacob Franzak, along with Damian Eisner. Our executive producer is Boaz Michael, and the editor-in-chief is Daniel Lancaster. This episode was directed and edited by Jeremy Schoenwald. Original music was written and performed by Joshua Aaron. The show notes for Messiah Podcast were edited by Candy Bishop and are available at messiahpodcast.org. If you are interested in learning more about the Bible from a Messianic Jewish perspective, check out Torah Club, which is an international network of small study groups who meet weekly to study the Bible together from a Messianic Jewish perspective. To start a club or join a club, go to torahclub.org. Until next time, shalom. Let his word cover you and me Like the waters cover the sea Let his love cover you and me Like the waters cover the sea